What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. This is episode 192. We are creeping up on good old number 200. Today, Sean and I jumped right in. We recapped a lot of sports. We haven't been back in about 10 days. Starting off with NCAA basketball in the Final Four, giving a quick recap on that. Following that, we talked about the Jets and the rest of the NFL. It is Masters Week. I gave my foursome. We talked a little food as well to get you guys a little hungry, a little excited for the weekend. Following that, we talked to NBA on and off the court, and then we wrapped it up with some baseball. Enjoy the pod, and we'll be back next week with another one. Follow us on Twitter at Sorry Sports, on Instagram, Sorry underscore Sports, and check out the website, SorrySports.com. Enjoy the pod. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We are here on a Thursday night. It's been a little bit, Tom, but we, you know, it's been a little busy. We have some things to catch up on. How you doing, man? What's going on, man? Um, congratulations to you on a personal note. Um, just had a quick question. Rumor has it, I mean, obviously, when you get a new job, you go to get a haircut. Rumor has it that not only did you get a haircut, you flew to L.A. Confirm or deny, did you get a haircut with Paul Pierce? Were you there? <laughs> well, you know, I obviously love Paul Pierce from his one stellar year at Brooklyn. So I, I hope I wasn't caught in the video. Um, <laughs> I'll confirm I was there, but, uh, you know. I said you got else. a new job. I didn't tell anybody that you, what you were doing. I didn't tell anybody that you were shaking that ass. Well, you know, I, again, I didn't want it to be a whole thing here. Uh, <laughs> trying to fly under the radar, let Paul take the spotlight. Um no man, yeah, new new week at the new job is good. Um, it's uh, it, it's back to be it's, it's good to be back in business there for sure. Absolutely. Well, we're back like we never left. Um, we got that Paul Pierce shit out of the way. Nothing really to say there. Um, easily. No, pretty much everything you said speaks for itself. Very easily replaceable as an analyst. I don't really think he brought much to the table, although he is welcome on our pod. He is more than welcome on our pod, but he, yeah, I agree. Like, I felt the ESPN space for him was. I think we should do the pod at his house. We'll do. We'll 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 play an away (laughs) game for that one. Absolutely, I I got the address for you, man. We'll we'll, we'll take care of it. (laughs) Yeah, ESPN's Disney. Rachel Nichols is the main host of the show that he's on, and I don't think she wants to be dealing with that shit. Understandably so. Um, and and to be honest, I don't think Paul Pierce was there. Was part of their. part of their future plans anyways are a major part. No, he's just another one of those former NBA it's players. Not Stephen that, A. Smith, you know? Yeah, that they can kind of just, they'll ship in a new one. I wouldn't be surprised to see Perk leave soon, too. I mean, that guy having to censor himself, that's, I, I listened to him on All the Smoke with um, Stack and uh, and Barnes, and, I mean, every single fucking word was motherfucker, motherfucker. I'm like, this guy's on ESPN? It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, he must, that's tough to do. You know, I mean, I don't know. I think I have a pretty good filter when I'm around like parents and shit of not cursing. But sometimes it's tough not to slip up parents as you drop the shit. 
Yeah, obviously. I mean, dude, totally. And, and if that's just like you come from that culture and you come from, you know, having the locker room talk, quote unquote, and now all of a sudden you're supposed to go on ESPN, like CC says all the time. Like, remember when he was getting a couple spots on like Get Up and stuff? He was like, no, I got to have a podcast. He's like, I cannot go a sentence without cussing. And I was like, I can respect that. Hey, listen. Like, you know your space. Exactly. All right. You ready to jump into the final four? Um, Sean. Did you win our bracket, by the way? I won it, man. Congratulations. It. You said you I said know. I finished third. Well, again, we talked about it last time. We're, we're really bright, and uh, it, it showed. I know. I was actually shocked when I got Phillips' Venmo. I meant I to like, text you about shit. that, and I completely forgot with uh, the new job and all that shit. Well, I, I appreciate that, man. It was great It was great for our brand that both of us finished top three, mm-hmm. and uh, it shows that in a year where we talked no college basketball and I forgot a region of my bracket when we were breaking it down that both of us could finish that high. Yeah. That either says a lot for us or just that putting together a bracket's an absolute joke. It is. It is. I don't know which one. It's a crapshoot. I really don't know which one, but we'll take, we'll take the, uh, the one where we're smart. How about that? Yeah. I'm more than good with that. All right, so talking Final Four, Baylor was a wagon. They blew out. Um, who did they play? They played Houston. They played Houston. It wasn't even a game. The UCLA game, a little bit later in the night where Gonzaga played them, that game was a lot of fun. I think UCLA clearly gave them all that they could handle. Um, and I think that that might have had a teensy-weensy something to do with Gonzaga getting their shit pushed in by Baylor the next game. After watching that game, the national title game, I think Gonzaga well-rested still doesn't beat Baylor, but I think it's a closer game. I think that's a really good point by you. I I, I totally agree, and, and a couple people that I listened to Monday morning, Jay Billis being one of them, was saying, it's going to take a toll. You play a game like that that's so taxing and you need – to make a shot like Suggs made to win a game while Baylor just coasted. I mean, if anybody watched the second half of that game, God bless you, because I was done with it. I I was like, I have no interest in watching any of this. And um, But before we talk about the national championship game and and how disappointing it was, and obviously, just to finish my thought, Gonzaga clearly had nothing left in the tank, Mm -hmm. so that analysis was right. I want to just talk to you a little bit about what was going through your head during that UCLA-Gonzaga game and where you put that in context to some of the most recent games. Because if you're not, it seems like a while ago, and in some ways it doesn't. Last year at this time, we were recapping old Final Four games, and we were giving our rankings to the best ones. So I wanted to get your take on where you put that game in the moment and having now almost a week to step back and think about it, where you put that in your rankings. I don't really remember the rankings off the top of my head, but I I don't even know if it breaks those rankings. Um, Obviously, the ending was amazing, and sometimes you're a prisoner at the moment, and you're also locked into just the outcome of the game, but that was a sloppy game before that, right? So... Uh, I mean, the ending was an all-time ending. Great shot, uh, heartbreaking for UCLA as you as you tie the game up on a on a layup, and then Gonzaga obviously and Suggs goes down and drills that half-court shot. But before that, it, it was just I, I didn't really. I mean, obviously it was a close game, but that doesn't mean it was a good game. 
No, I totally agree with you. And I wasn't sure if we were going to line up on this, but I'm I'm a thousand percent on your side on this because who did I mean, we have gotta... number one? Was it Nova against um, against North Carolina? Nova UNC was right up there. That game just sticks one. in my brain. Wire to right. wire, amazing game, and the best outcome. Obviously, even I think it's even better than Valvano because that was a layup. This was a fucking cold blooded three by uh, what was it, Jenkins? I think that might be my number one game. It's my most memorable game. And and you can think about even I think we had that Duke Butler game just because of how close Hayward's shot was yeah. to going in from, half, out court, from half court. Yeah, exactly. And what where in the pantheon of, of great sports moments all time it would have been if that shot went in. But, yeah, man, I agree with you. This game was not well played by either side. I mean, you had a Johnny Juzang of UCLA literally had more than his team, that more than half of his team's total points, which speaks to great performance by him, but also no one else was doing anything. And Gonzaga looked off from the get-go. It was nothing resembling what they had been doing from the rest of the tournament. Yeah, and aside from the Final Four and obviously the title game, they were just fucking rolling. It was effortless. I mean, it was very Baylor-esque. They were blowing out the spread by like 10 points. Yeah, and no one could hang with them. I mean, they played such a smart, brilliant, fundamentally sound brand of basketball in addition to having a couple of scorers and shot makers. But I, I agree with you. I was I was obviously captivated in the moment because Juzang takes the shot and misses it, somehow gets it back, lays it in, and then here comes Suggs. And he pulls up from half court and banks it in. It, it was awesome, and I think it was exactly what the tournament needed. Because although there were some good games, it just felt a little off. And we talked about this on our last pod with with no fans there, right, or very few. So to have a moment like that in a Final Four game, I thought was great. But yeah, it's not up there for me. It's not cracking a top three, maybe not even a top five. Uh, yeah, I'm out on the top five too. The national title game, man, Baylor just outplayed Gonzaga on every single facet of the game. I mean, when you go out there and you're play and you're up in these guys shorts before half court playing defense like a bunch of dogs out there and on the other side of the ball, you don't even really have to run any offense because any shot over half court, your is literally a swish. I mean, I don't really know what Gonzaga could do. Not to mention Baylor was just far more athletic and they just took advantage of every guy on Gonzaga that could not guard. Absolutely. I mean, this for everybody that said, oh, Gonzaga's never tested until they get to the tournament and, you know, was waiting for Gonzaga to slip up. Well, you know, here here you go. Here's your argument and, and you win it because this Baylor team out of the Big 12 was one of the best teams all year. And they had a little slip up after their COVID suspension and had a little early exit in the Big 12 championship game or in the Big 12 tournament. Yeah. I mean, they ran. You want to talk about what Zaga was doing to teams in the early onset of the tournament? I mean, Baylor was doing the same and then some. And they disposed of a Houston team. Like I said, you, there was no reason to watch the second half of that game. And they carried that over to this game. And, and, and honestly, dude. For all the reasons that you said, Gonzaga just looked lost. I mean, Suggs had two fouls in, what, the first four minutes of the game? So they couldn't play him. Their well, offense you, was completely out of whack. In the first in the first four minutes of the game, you blink, and it's, what, 13-14-1, Gonzaga? And yeah, at it that started point, 9 nothing. And, 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 I mean, listen, there was times in the second half where where Gonzaga brought it down to, to nine points, but then 
Baylor turns around and brings it back to 14 with two threes that were fucking water. Didn't touch a single part of the rim. And, and that game was just over from the second they tipped that ball off. And Baylor really showed you that, I, I mean, they showed you what a perfect college basketball team is. One, the team's going to guard. Two, they're superior to most teams because every guy on that team is going to knock down shots. And three, they're deep, but they're not oversaturated, meaning they have two, maybe three guys that can come off the bench when needed to give the starters a blow, but they don't. not every single player on that team needs to get in because then that ruins the momentum. Great point. Their rotations were flawless the entire tournament, and... On top of that, too, they all knew their roles. None of those guys tried to do things that were outside of what was being asked of them. And you even heard Scott Drew talk about that after the game, that everybody kind of that Belichickian thing of do your job and we'll win. They did. They embraced it. And like you you used the perfect word, they were dogs on defense. There was no room to breathe for these Gonzaga players. Listen, Drew's been there a long time, but I think that is is what goes maybe, I I mean, I don't know, maybe I haven't been listening enough, but I don't think it's been mentioned enough how, how he gets these guys to guard so hard the entire game. Well, he has had athletes in the past, and they've had... Now he's got shot makers. But he has shot makers, and he also has guys who are really fundamentally sound. A couple of those early exits for Baylor, whether it be round of 32, Sweet 16, was predominantly because they either A, couldn't make their free throws, or B... They, they were turnstiles on defense or missed assignments and a team could capitalize on them and be able to and be able to persevere, although they were probably not athletically better than what Absolutely. Baylor was. Baylor, this time, not even close. Baylor was the layup line team where if you're watching teams warm up, you're like, holy shit. They're, like, they're doing fucking windmills in the layup line and you're like, this team's going to win by 40. And then they come out on the floor and... They can't do shit because they don't know how to run plays. Everybody wants to get theirs, and they don't have anybody who can get a bucket when it's actually needed. They set the tone in the Houston game from the first from the first minute, and they did the same with Zaga. Now, Absolutely. we've talked about how great Baylor was, for sure, and we, we hinted at this before. Do you believe that Gonzaga kind of had the win knocked out of him from that UCLA game, and they just weren't up for this, or was it? Was it just better Baylor? Baylor was perfect and wouldn't lose to anybody. I would say I would say Gonzaga did. I, I, I said it a little earlier, but I do think Gonzaga did have the air knocked out of him, but I think Gonzaga could have had three days rest and Baylor still rolls him. It would have been a closer game, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't think the Zags had nearly enough offensively with, with the way Baylor was guarding. And yep. there was a lot of guys on Gonzaga that just went to show that they could not guard the talent of Baylor on the other side of the ball, excluding the threes. I mean, if a team's going to come out and shoot the percentage that they did from the three-point line, 90% chance you're going to lose that game anyways. But they were also going by people like there was no tomorrow. As far as competitiveness, one of the worst Final Fours ever? Tough to watch, yeah. But you know what? At, at the same time, it was a perfect year to have a shitty Final Four because we were so fucking desperate for it from the year before. And all Facts. in all, I thought it was an ick tournament, but I was just so happy to have it back. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. It was one of those things where you're watching and you know it's just not quite where it needs to be. But after last year, I mean, it was it was perfect. There were times where I was watching games where it didn't feel any different. And then there were t- games where I was like, yeah, this still feels a little off. Yeah, 
But, I mean, you had your upsets, Loyola Chicago, who I predicted, by the way. Top, yeah, you did. Top three in the bracket, no big deal. Um, but I am talking to the winner here. Um, and and you had a couple of decent games, and then you had your buzz, your buzzer beater. So, I mean, it was still it was still it's still the best. Um, it maybe top three sporting event in America. Yeah, for sure. I think those two weeks just absolutely captivate you, and then being able to have a final four on a Saturday, and then due to the net do the natty it's it's fantastic man it really is and it's unfortunate that the games weren't closer but we did have some great moments and some great storylines and upsets way, and hopefully next year it's all good talking to my cousin about this two days that america should get his holidays day after the super bowl and the national title game bro day. the game starts at nine twenty. i know i know i was exhausted the next day it's horrible either if you what I don't understand is it's it's a Monday night. Why are you pushing it so late? Like prime time's like seven, right? Why can't we start the game at seven? Monday night football starts at what eight twenty, eight twenty five. Yeah, Do it then even even then is fine, right? I mean, either we need to have the next day off as Americans, or they need to push that ahead a little bit. And the Super Bowl, the day after the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Monday, that. That should that's the biggest holiday of the year, basically. That should already be signed, sealed, and delivered a national holiday. To go off of that, I'm so fucking pissed that even though they now have a seventeenth game and an eighteenth week in the NFL, that it is the Super Bowl will still not land on President's Day weekend. It's the weekend before. Look, we so it's like, listen, fuck, understandably so, history was corrected. We basically canceled Columbus Day, right? But we yeah, didn't, I think- but we didn't get anything back for it. <laughs> So give us that. I know. I know. What's more American than the, than fucking getting tanked, being depressed from losing thousands of dollars, and stuffing your face to the point you're in a coma, and then having to get up for work the next day? No, that's a holiday the next day. Exactly. That's more than any. And it's not like it'd even be a good holiday because it's in the middle of winter, but we just need that day for sleep. I think everybody would be way more productive for the rest of the week if you just give us that Monday off. Speaking of NFL, are you ready to talk some football? I'm ready for you to talk some football because this is a this has <laughs> been long in the making and this is a I don't know if this is a therapy session. We have not talked for everybody listening about this up until now. So Tom, you have the floor, my friend, on the Sam Darnold trade to Carolina. Well, for those who are living under a rock, Sam Darnold has been traded to the Carolina Panthers for a six-round pick this year and a 20, what is it, what's next year, 2022 um, second-round and fourth-round draft pick. And, Sean, I'm okay. I threw out the jersey. Okay. Um, you know, I did have, I, I had a Will Smith text giving me condolences. Um, yeah. Our, my secretary Texted me as well, a few others, and I just said the same thing to everybody. Listen, what was the nature of your secretary's text? I can't imagine it was good spirited. Um, <laughs> let's get a recap. Yeah, probably it was probably salt on the wound kind of thing, right? <laughs> I would think so, knowing him. Um, let me see. Jesus Christ, where is it? Um, <laughs> I would be thinking like, well, better luck next time, or you know. Your baby's growing up elsewhere. I don't even know. I can't see it, but yeah. um, something definitely about my baby boy. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, but you know, I, I said the same thing. I said the same thing to them. I'm on. I'm on the wrong fucking text thread here. Jesus Christ. I said the same thing to him and Will and the rest of them. Um, let's see. Oh, this is what he said. Not sure what you think about your baby boy. I think you should get a Velcro Jets jersey. That <laughs> that way you can change the numbers a couple of times a year. There you go. And then he said, hoping you didn't lose money on the basketball game last night. Which I, I didn't. I hedged with Baylor. Um, Sympathetic as always. Yeah, what a guy. Um with that being said, I said I'm going with the flow, which is exactly what I'm doing. I have to trust Douglas. I have to trust the Jets. If Wilson's the guy, then you trade Darnold and you get what you can for him. Everybody's saying – everybody who's not in the know is saying you should have gotten more. Listen, the, he was getting a fourth-round grade like last week. So the Jets, I think that's the best deal they could have gotten. They weren't going to be able to strum up a bidding war. I wish my baby boy the best. We've moved on to Zach Wilson. I was calling Trevor Lawrence my sweet prince. I saw him at the Masters wearing a Timex. So I don't know if he's swimming laps or something, but that really turned me off. Glad we're not getting him wearing a Timex. Um, Zach Wilson is now my sweet prince. There you go. I, I, I am happy for you, and I'm happy that this is the emotion that's coming from you. Um, I mean, the writing's been on the wall the whole off season, right? I mean, knowing that to be Albatross, honest, I think uh-huh. we're not talking about Deshaun Watson. We're still not doing it. But nope. if this shit didn't happen, he might be in a Jets uniform. There's a chance, but that but it doesn't change the fact that Darnold would not be. So no. you, you were resigned to the fact that Darnold, the Darnold era was was over in New York, and I'm happy that you're that you're good with it because here's the thing, man. That albatross that's out there that you pointed out to Frenchie of, of the contract coming up next year, you're going to have to make a commitment to him right now. And with a whole new regime that is not tied to him, it, it wasn't going to work. And you know what? It's one of those things, too, where even if the situation was perfect and you brought in the best players and had an all-time offensive line, I still don't think things would work out for him because he's so traumatized by his time here. And We've seen this happen. I mean, Ryan Tannehill leaves – Miami and again a former Adam Gase, you know, absolutely crestfallen quarterback from from that from that coaching staff goes to Tennessee and has a lot more success. He never would have had that success in Miami, no matter who you put around him. So I'm happy for Darnold that he gets to go somewhere where he clearly was wanted. And I applaud Douglas and the Jets, like you said, for getting what they got for him. Okay, nothing much this year. But next year you're coming around with another second round and another fourth round pick. It's all about accumulating draft capital, whether you're going to use it or you're going to use it in a trade. I think they did a really good job considering the fact that, like you said, they're really across the league didn't seem like anybody was really willing to give up anything for him. Yeah, and within the next three years the Jets have – I think t- three uh, for the next three years, top three rounds, they have 10 picks. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's amazing. That's a way to rebuild the team on the fly in a cheap way. The only thing with the picks is they're false hope. You got to make the right ones. For Well, obviously, for sure. But they're also going to be there in your back pocket in case a team wants to make a deal. And the Jets are well-positioned cap-wise as well. To be able to do that. So 100%, I think right. this is great from both sides. And Carolina, real fact, too, just I, I think that, listen, they obviously, I was listening to Adam Schefter talk about how they were the hottest in pursuit 
of Deshaun Watson, like Frenchie kind of spoke about or almost kind of foretold when he yeah. was on our pod a few and months ago. And then they ago. had to slam the brakes. They had to th- <laughs> slam, slam the brakes and throw out the car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Knowing that that was not going to happen. So it was like, okay, where do we go? All right, we're drafting eighth. The quarterback we want is probably not there. Do we really want to trade up knowing what that will take to be able to get a guy? Listen, we think that this guy's good. You put him with Joe Brady, the OC down there, the former OC of LSU. He's a, I think he's going to be good down there. And now it's just a matter for, for the Jets fans and, and for the Jets organization is getting Zach Wilson in there and surrounding him with as much talent and having a coaching staff that's a 1,000% and a GM, a 1,000% committed to him. I couldn't agree more. And I told Will, I think Sam Darnold could be probably ceiling for him, top 15, top 12 quarterback, floor for him, top 25. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be a quarterback, in the a starting quarterback in the NFL for a while. I don't know how good he'll be. Tell you what, you can't uh, tell ceiling. me you can't tell me he doesn't have a good coach, and you can't tell me he doesn't have the weapons down there. No, you cannot. Because, I mean, DJ Moore... He's back with Robbie, and he's obviously got one of the best, if not the best, running back in football in Christian McCaffrey. Yep, and they've got Matt Rule, who's a really great coach, and Joe Brady's going to just dial up really good offense for him. I think you're going to see him use a lot of mobility. Um, I think this was a win-win for both sides, and more more importantly, Darnold, because you, you always said it on the pod, and, and it's true, and we hate having to gush over this, but hell of a fucking guy and hell of a fucking teammate had so many chances to burn bridges and talk about how awful the team was and the coaches were and the players that didn't make plays around him. And he never did. Yeah. Um, tough to see his entire career as a jet. I'm, I I don't know why, but I was having like a flashback to when they announced him starter in that Monday night game where he threw the pick six against Maddie PP and then goes back to lead the team and, and, I was just riding on a high, and to be honest, that was like the highlight of his career. It was legitimately all downhill from there, and it's sad. But listen, I'll, I'll be rooting for him over there in Carolina, my baby boy. Not that he cares if I root for him or not. I wish him nothing but the best, not that he cares about that either. Always welcome <laughs> on the pod. Matty PP, you're still not welcome on the pod. No way. And that's about it. All I have to say about that. All right, I uh, I like that. That was that was very cathartic, and uh, I'm happy for you. And and now you can embrace the Zach Wilson era. And I can't wait for you to somehow be able to get some kind of uh, offshore Zach Wilson Jets jersey. Um, rumors say that the 49ers, who moved up to three, as we well know, that Mac Jones is going to be their guy. Now he makes sense in some ways, right? Obviously, he's kind of a Matt Ryan type for the Shanahan offense. He and there seem like they're hell bent on Garoppolo. I'll believe it when I see it. But with all of this pointing here, we got plenty of time to talk about it with Frenchie. But just with these rumors coming out, what do you make of this? I'm. I cannot believe in 2021 that a team is quote-unquote, all-in on Jimmy G, but also going to use the third pick in a very QB hot and getting hotter by the day draft to draft a guy you're going to stick into a competition with Jimmy G. I understand the guy went to a Super Bowl, but that was based on your defense. At best, he's a middle-of-the-road quarterback. Top, I'd say I'd put him right at number 15. So that means you're going to use your number three pick on a guy who you think at best can be the 
15th best quarterback in the league? What the hell? Yeah, I know. Does it make uh, any sense to you? Because you know what they say. The saying is, if you got two quarterbacks, you got three quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. I'm hard-pressed to go against Shanahan because I think he's such a great coach, and I do actually believe this organization knows what they're doing. But fundamentally, I agree with you because that is the age-old adage, and it's obviously been around for a long time because it's the fucking truth. If you you don't know who you have, then you don't have anybody. And And by the way, that first-round bust rate of right around 50% still stands. Look at Darnold. Look at at Rosen. Look at... I can't even remember who else is in that draft. You basically have a middling Baker Mayfield, which we still don't know, and you have a Lamar Jackson and a Josh Allen who are good. Yeah, and you got a bunch of guys in flux, right? So you're, you're, it, it's definitely one of the. I mean, you could throw Trubisky in there. <laughs> it's for sure. Is right well, now he's from another year, bust. but yeah, yeah, but. Um, I, I don't know about this man. I mean, here's the thing about San Fran. The Garoppolo deal, when we, when he signed it, we looked at it and we realized how easily tradable it was because the money is money, but it, not a lot of it's guaranteed and not a lot of it is backloaded. So it, he's a tradable asset for sure. I think what they want to do is they want to have him have the opportunity to lead a healthy team and you've got Mac Jones there ready to step in if he, if he gets hurt or doesn't play well or is ready to be the quarterback of the future. And let's not forget, because this is the Niners and they do things very sneakily, they could hold an open competition and they could be singing the praises of both guys. Of course. And, and come, what, week three of the preseason, week four of the preseason, San Francisco trades Jimmy Garoppolo to whomever. And and I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Couldn't agree with you more. They're very Yankees, very early 2000s Yankees-esque with that. But I think that's the only logical answer is the latter of what you just said where they're just bumping up Jimmy G's trade value because, listen, if if you have the 25th pick in the first round or you want to do an early second round flyer and you want to say he's the guy or whatever, you know, and you think he's a quarterback of your future, fine. You don't, not only do you not use the number three overall pick for a guy who you think can quote-unquote compete with Jimmy G, he needs to be your guy just for the number three pick. You also just traded and mortgaged your future for this pick. It's not like you just fell in to this pick. You had to mortgage your future to the Miami Dolphins for this pick. So that's like a double down on saying that if you're going to go with the number three pick, that needs to be wholeheartedly, whether he is or not, you have to believe that he is your guy. No question about it. And, you know, it's a little unconventional because we live in a league right now where top three picks or at least the first quarterback taken by a team in the top seven to ten starts week one. That is not necessarily what is the right formula. And I really think the Niners are comfortable saying, Mac Jones is our fucking guy. And he's going to be our guy for a lot of years. But we don't have to rush him. We have a guy who's very competent right now who took us to a Super Bowl two years ago. And if he doesn't win the job, it means that Mac, it affirms that Mac is the guy. And if he does win the job, we have a very competent quarterback who's capable of winning a lot of games for us and if we're fully healthy. And then Mac is the guy for the next 
10 years. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think this is as big of a deal six years ago as it is now because this is just not how the current NFL is done. You mentioned Darnold. I mean, the Jets moved up to three to get him. They drafted him, and he's and he's suiting up week one. And that's what Burrow did, and that's what a lot of quarterbacks do now. I, I understand your point, but the way that the Niners, and they, they could be just pulling you know the ultimate uh, Trojan horse here, whatever you want to call it, smokescreen, whatever, which is what I hope they're doing. But if you tell me we think this guy is as good, if not a little better than Jimmy G, who I like I said at the beginning, is a top at his peak, a top fifteen quarterback in the league, then you need to look elsewhere or just draft the best player at number three. It it's it's tough because if they don't believe that Jimmy G is the guy of the future, but they believe that he's a guy right now for this one year. Or and they could easily, like I said before, have it in their minds that they're going to have a quote-unquote open competition fully knowing well that Mac Jones is the better of the two. And then they will trade Garoppolo uh, at the end of summer. And, and, and they well could do that. It, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. I'm just shocked above all. I, I liked him a lot at Bama. He put up better numbers than Tua at Bama. He was, you know, he had obviously tremendous weapons at Bama. But I, I liked what he does. I mean, he doesn't throw – he does not throw interceptions. He does not take risky passes. He's hyper-mobile in the pocket, but he's not mobile out of the pocket. He's got a really good arm. I'm surprised, though, that this is the guy that is going to be the third quarterback taken when you've got Justin Fields still there on the board. It's, mm-hmm. it's very interesting, but it's, it's not surprising given the team and the coach. I absolutely agree with you. And just reading the tea leaves after you broke it down there, Jimmy G will be traded I can, if, if they take Mac Jones. I can almost guarantee it. I'd be surprised if he wasn't, yeah. Anything else with the NFL? That's pretty much it, man. We are three weeks from tonight. We are on draft night. So Frenchie's coming on in probably about two weeks to give his French five and his mocks and all that good stuff. Um does it feel like it's three weeks away? I know last year with nothing going on, it felt like every day was a week. Now mm-hmm. I feel like we're not even going to realize it's there. No, it's going to fly by, especially if we got what we're talking about next this weekend to keep us occupied. Um, Sean, this is this is like the sports sweet spot right here. You had the it's tourney. Beautiful. You got basketball. You got baseball starting up. Still talking football. Football's a year-round sport anyways. And now you have the tournament, the Masters. Here we go, baby. Here we go. Um, first night over with, or first first round, excuse me, first day. Justin Rose leading the pack. Shoots a 65 on day one. He looks locked in. He is not part of my foursome. Obviously, it's the biggest tournament in golf. I'm going to give you a foursome this week. Have to. Um. I'm just gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with name brands this week. I'm not gonna throw anybody crazy out there for you for a few reasons. Um, the main reason being that usually the better one of the best players around wins, and the other reason is because rookies do not win the Masters. So I'm not gonna give you guys that haven't seen the course a lot. With that being said, I'm gonna throw my foursome at you. I bet on this guy before he even got hot. He's not one of my guys. He's not one of the six. I've rattled off those guys for you. But he is um, 
one of my guy adjacents, kind of like a, a Justin Thomas, and that's Jordan Spieth. I bet on him plus 4,500. I thought he was going to come back. I had an inkling. I was listening to a few things here and there, and he turned around and won the Valero. He finishes up minus one today. My second guy, Sean, I bet on him every single fucking week. What'd you do here, man? This is your guy. Of my guys, Tony Finau. Finau. Top five, Tony fucking Finau. I, I, I have all the faith in the world in him. Number I want three. him on the pod so bad just so you guys can talk and that should allow him to win a tournament. A maybe maybe if he doesn't win this week and he needs a little more luck, I'll shoot him a DM. Love Another it. guy I have, he's just the best player in the world as long as he's locked in. He didn't play great today, but there's still three big days left as long as he can make the cut. Dustin Johnson, the best golfer mm-hmm. on earth. And I don't know if you've seen a Napoleon Gretzky, but... I mean, he does pretty well off the course, too. We've met, we've mentioned it every time, and the <laughs> only thing I really bring to the golf corner that you present is whenever you talk about DJ, I, I mentioned Paula. So, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. um, and my fourth, listen, the Augusta is a second-shot golf course. The two best guys at hitting that iron is... Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa, I think, is still a little too young for Augusta. Hasn't played it enough. Give me Justin Thomas. My overall winner I have is Justin Thomas. That's my foursome for you. Everybody enjoy the weekend. There will be someone new wearing a green jacket this year. That is my prediction, Justin Thomas. I, I love it, and it's and it's crazy to talk about the Masters because it was four and a half months ago, five yeah. and a half months ago that we had that we had the last Masters, and obviously because of COVID reasons, it got pushed to November. I want to ask you a few questions here about it. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to watch any of it or listen to any recaps of oh, Day was, One, but I was in meetings today watching it, and I love on my it. phone, I was on a couple conference calls watching it. First thing I got to ask you: Did you notice? Uh, Brooks is obviously congrats on the engagement Brooks Brooks is one of my guys we know that also coming off a knee surgery did you notice how he has to read putts because he cannot bend his knee at all I heard about it he's doing like full splits and shit but what I think is the most impressive part about this is the fact that this is a surgery where your rehab is six months at best and he's playing a month in Mm -hmm. fucking insane I mean the guy is obviously dedicated as hell to this um any other I tournament i don't think he plays i don't think he plays it but it's the masters yeah you kind of have to there right um but obviously the course was totally different in november we talked about it, it wasn't the same mm-hmm. they did the best they could is this playing kind of the way that it usually always does and the second part to that is i know the forecast is a little ominous um how does that play are there any players who's Games might be more of a strength if the weather is a little inclement or if the if the greens get a little slow. Well, I mean, if the greens get a little slow, it's going to help the people that have less strokes gain putting, because the slower the greens are, the easier it's going to the easier it's going to be for you to putt. So guys that are not doing too hot with the putter, cough, cough, Bryson, cough, cough, a few other guys that I can't they're they're slipping my mind right now. Dustin is one of them who hasn't been putting as well as of late. Um, it's going to help those guys out, but I mean, it's, it just looks like, I mean, there's, there's not really tough, 
rough there, but it just looks like everything's grown out a little bit more. The second shots are a little bit tougher. So like I said, it's going to favor guys like like a, like a JT. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, the thing I heard about Bryson, because a lot of people I was listening to talk about the Masters lead up, it was they were like, well, you know, you don't want to really you don't really want to bet on Bryson this weekend because I guess he's only played it he's played it six times and one of them was as an amateur when he finished tied for 21st and that was the best he's finished at a Masters. Is there something about the course that I mean I know back then he wasn't what he is now, but is there something about the course that's kind of a boogeyman factor to him? Does can he I think just, it's I think his it's game between the ears. It? I think it's between the ears completely. Okay. I mean, because listen, there's a lot of times, and the other thing is, is that, like, uh, like I just said, it's a second shot golf course, and it's not that, it's not that he isn't a good player with the irons. It's just that he tries to overpower the rough, and you have to be more of a finesse player. You have to be able to stop the ball on a dime here, spin it, put yourself in the right position on the green. Whereas places like where he won the U.S. Open, Wingfoot. He had more of an advantage there because that rough was so thick. The the club head speed of his iron, he was just able to rip through it and hit higher irons. When these guys are hitting five, six irons, he's hitting a nine iron or a pitching wedge because he's fucking blasting it. Whereas here, you have to be able to place the ball more more in a much closer circle. Guys like JT and Morikawa are going to do a lot better job than that than Bryson, who's just going to try and mash. Okay, that makes sense. Um, speaking about between the ears, Rory, oh. you didn't mention him in your top in, in your foursome. Well, this that's because Rory, who... Rory is a fade, my friend. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to ask the question: is like his bugaboo in in majors right now? It, he hasn't won since like I was in high school or something. It's been a long fucking time, man. So you want to talk about between the ears? Is that it? Like, because I feel like he can still play and he can still drive the shit out of the ball. But oh yeah, there's got to be something where once he gets into these pressure packed tournaments and these, and especially if he makes the cut and goes into Saturday and Sunday, it, it, it's just completely in his head, right? Because it's not his game. Yeah, I mean, I think we're uh, well. First of all, his game is not where it needs to be driving the ball. I think he's a little flat with his swing. I was looking at a few things, a few videos of him. His swing looks a little flat, and he tried to get more distance, which doesn't make sense because before Bryson did this crazy transformation, he was by far and beyond driving the ball the furthest and leading the torrent strokes gained off the tee. So, I mean. So what? You're the second best driver now? Who gives a fuck? Your game all around is so much better than Bryson's. You shouldn't be trying to model it after him. But I gotta be honest, man. Another year of this shit, and we might be entering Spieth territory, where Spieth hadn't won mm-hmm. since like 2013, 2014, and it, and it uh, that's another behind the ears right there. Yeah, he he burst upon the scene, and it, it's really not been anything since. And I think there is a lot of pressure because these guys also came up in that era. Right where we're trying to find "quote unquote" the next Tiger, which is such a detriment. Yeah, which is what guys. we were talking about Jordan for a long time. Because I mean, the guy came in like a bat out of hell and won eleven tournaments, including I believe three or four majors in a span of three years, and then just lost it. It's a lot of pressure to put on guys like that, and I think that's probably why. I mean, I don't want to. Do too much of a deep dive, but that might be why we've seen some of Tiger's off the course issues manifest because there's the pressure to be 
this unbelievable force in a in a sport that has its niche but it's mm-hmm. only that and now you're trying to anoint these other guys knowing that tiger especially at that time circa 2011 through 2014 was nowhere close and and really kind of irrelevant as far as competing for majors we're trying to anoint these guys as the next guy and that's a that's a huge burden to, to carry when you're just trying to make your make a name for yourself right yeah it definitely is, but do you want to talk about something a little more interesting? I'd love to. You want to hear the menu for for uh, DJ's DJ's master's meal? Oh, this is important. I've already got your your you know go into the electric chair menu. So let's let's hear DJ's. I couldn't remember what I said, even though it, it only seems like a few you, months ago. You brought out everything. I said like a good burger, and you had like five courses. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna die, you might as well die on a full <laughs> stomach. All right, his appetizer is pigs in a blanket and lobster and corn fritters. Didn't really I can respect know. both of those. You're down south now, so maybe you see corn fritters a little bit more than I've seen. I'm looking up corn fritters, and they actually look pretty good. It's almost like a scallion pancake almost kind of thing. I don't know. Hey, you fill it with lobster meat. That ain't bad. No, not at all. Salad, a garden salad or a Caesar salad. Which one would you go with there? I like the Caesar salad. It's a classic. Absolutely. Next, the and I never knew until a few years ago that there's anchovies in Caesar dressing. Really threw me for a loop. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one got. I was like, what? And what you're still fuck? thicken with it, huh? Yeah, it's delicious. I mean, it I'm not a big. That explains guy. the saltiness, though. Yes, it definitely does. The entree, uh, prime filet mignon, or. And, and this is the Masters, and only champs can play, so why can't I have both? Or a miso-marinated sea bass. Now, see, that's what I'm talking about. You can do you double up on a slice of each of those things, you're set. Exactly. Sides, you got mashed potatoes and spring vegetables. That ought to go nice with either of those. And then for dessert, you have a peach cobbler and apple pie with vanilla ice cream. That's nice. It doesn't That's always have nice. to be such some – I mean, listen, I'm a chocolate guy myself. I think I probably added my mom's chocolate cake to mine when I win the Masters. You but did. every once in a while, it's nice to change it up with a fruit-style dessert. Hey, throw two fruit styles on there. You got a little apple. You got a little peach. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not as decadent, not as rich as chocolate, but, you know, it's probably not – you're probably not going to be able to – you're not going to walk home and be like, oh, my God, you know, pass out on your mm-hmm. way back home. This is something that you can kind of take into the next day. I, I can respect that with a little with a little vanilla ice cream garnished in there. And listen, if they're wrapping it up for the next day, a peach cobbler apple pie, I don't even need the vanilla ice cream, might be nice for breakfast. I was just going to say, you heat that shit up for like a nice solid two, three minutes, you're golden. You ever had cold pie? It's not that bad. I've had it. It ain't bad. Um... I think, you you know, that's got to be at the point where you, you're waking up the next morning and saying, I cannot wait for these two to three minutes. I need to eat this right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I like that menu. That's a pretty solid menu right there. Yes. And then the drinks, he has a 2016, I don't know, some type of wine and a 1998 Chateau Lynch Begues something. Probably a lot of money. <laughs> That's got to be a lot of money. You know, you know where I'm going for the drinks. So well, you're one. definitely going. You're definitely going with a dark liquor. I'm gonna say, where's that Pappy Van Winkle at? That's Ooh, yeah, I know. Well, 
Oh. I'm at the Masters. I'm going to be drinking that. Well, the 1998 bottle. This is a 2000 bottle of the 1998. That one is going. The 1998, a $750 bottle of wine. Mm. Let me get you, before we move on, let me get you the 2016. What do you think? Is it going to be cheaper or more expensive? It's, uh, it's older, right? So I'm going to say it's a little more expensive. It's, it's a little newer. more pricey. The 2016 is Oh, new. sorry, 2016. Okay. Um, I'm going to say it's it's cheaper, cheaper. then, right? New, newer, yeah, see. it has to be. I'm not getting prices on this one. I'm getting their website. It looks like these people work hard. A couple hundred <laughs> bucks. A couple hundred bucks. Okay. All right. Yeah, seems about right. Yeah. All right. Well, that about wraps up the golf corner. I enjoyed that Love one. It. Everybody get Me to too. get to your sports books if you still can. And uh, by the way, legalized gambling on its way in New York State. I don't know if you have it down there in Texas, but that'll be good because I don't have to drive to Jersey anymore when I don't want to place a bet with my bookie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we are not on our way there. Um which is unfortunate, but maybe I can ask you to, once that gets legalized, send a couple of bets my way via your account. Um, there you go. But, uh, but that's great news. It's it's long overdue. I mean, when I was living up there not all that long ago, I was I never quite understood why New York was so out in the cold on it. I'm like, this clearly is a, a good move for about 10,000 reasons, and New Jersey did it. Why can't you? So it's good to see that that's moving in motion. Yeah, definitely. Texas can't even get uh, their power right. They can't get their voting. Texas isn't right. going to do any. They're not even legal. They're not going to legalize marijuana anytime soon. Jesus Christ! Conservative ass state, bro. Definitely is. At least you're bringing. Uh, and I'm registered as an independent, but at least you're bringing a little more blue down there, I guess. Austin is that, and Austin, it's it's pretty much like you're an island. Because everything goes here. Like, everyone just lives their life. No one really cares. You step outside Austin City limits, it's uh, it's Texas, man. <laughs> well, at least you're living in the right spot. You ready to talk some NBA? I really am. And before we get into the on-the-court stuff, dude, we never talked about this because we didn't do one last week. And it's a little old news for some of the audience, but they need to hear our, our comments on it. This KD, Michael Rappaport beef... Katie was fined fifty grand, which obviously is a slap on the wrist. Even if that, maybe a, a slap on like the index finger mm-hmm. for the comments that he made to Rappaport that came out. I want to get your take on it first, but when all of this was coming out, like, what were your reactions? Because I was just like, this seems so ridiculous. Well, I mean, listen, I was, I like. I liked Rappaport, but then it got to the point where he was just trying to start a fight with everybody just to get more notoriety. Um, So for me, the jig is up on him. And honestly, shame on Kevin Durant because if you go back and forth with Rappaport, at this point you should really know what you're getting yourself into Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, And I don't don't think he did anything wrong going after him. But you got to know if you're putting something in print that doesn't vanish, that can be screenshotted, and it's Mike Rapp, he's going to take a picture of it and he's going to put it on social media and he's got a lot of followers. And honestly, what do they say? Congratulations, you played yourself, Kevin Durant. A phone call would have been funnier if you recorded it. (laughs) Yeah, I know. First of all, the words and all that, okay, it's, it's street talk in a DM. He wasn't posting this 
recklessly for all to see and using these comments as generalizations of certain groups and people of certain beliefs or lifestyles. You know, it doesn't condone what he says, but I think it's fair to say that when you're getting engaged with Rappaport, Rappaport's going to say some shit and you're going to say some shit and you're defending yourself. And if it's in a DM, you have a lot more leeway to express yourself than you would if it was an open forum or so in the you comment would think. section. So you would think. I think that it was completely ridiculous and I'm not siding with KD, but I will say this. It's street talk in a DM between two people. You're not bringing other people in here. I think the NBA should have just left it alone. I understand their point of we can't have one of our superstars talking like this with it being out in the open. But honestly, rap, and I liked rap too. I, I liked him for a while. I heard, I loved He's a one-trick anti- pony, bro. He is. And I, I liked his you know videos about against Trump. And I, I liked when he went on all the smoke. And and he became a likable figure, but he 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 talks a lot of shit. And he went at KD for not doing that interview with Barkley because Barkley shit talked Kyrie, and that's KD's boy and teammate. And you're not going to say that. So KD didn't know Barkley fucking anything in that interview. And he's like, "Why are you fucking coming at me?" And then obviously it escalated. I don't know. I feel like it was a lot to do about nothing. It was a private conversation between two people. Rap, don't fucking share that shit. Like, come on. Yeah, okay. He, that guy can't resist. And it was funny because it literally happened right when the deposition of him versus Barstool came to a close. So Barstool released those videos. and that, <laughs> That's a great uh, point. Not a good week for rap. He looks like a, uh, a salty old coward. Dude, he went on every single platform to talk did. about it. Yeah. Of course he did, and and that's what he's going to do. And in three months, he's going to get into it with either some housewife or whatever <laughs> uh, on E or Bravo, and he's going to go on and talk with Andy Cohen about that, or he's going to get into it with another athlete and make his rounds through that field. He doesn't yeah. – He's, it's going to be like, oh, it's quiet. Let me pick a fight with some dumb motherfucker that's stupid enough to get into it with me. Not that I think KD's a dumb motherfucker, but that was a dumb motherfucker move, KD. Yeah, because he can't help himself. It's, I'm just I'm just happy you – I think you said it. Just Wasn't a burner, burner Wasn't exactly. a burner. <laughs> I got I to give my man props here. You you were the one that said that, and I, I, I laughed. I was like, Step very true. Step up from, least, from the burner. <laughs> yeah, at least it's still the easy money sniper account. Um, Speaking about KD, he made his return last night for the Nets after 23 games off. He came off the bench, hardly played in the first half, came in, and it was a route from the get-go. Um, the Nets annihilated the Pelicans last night, and KD was perfect from the field and from the line. Had 19 points in, I think he shot seven shots. Um, is, is this team at this point, I know Harden's out now because there's no way you can have all three guys play together in the regular season, I guess. Go so ahead. Harden's Harden's out now. But with the way Kyrie's playing, I know we've talked about him, but not in a couple weeks now. Is this is this just an unstoppable force? Yeah, if I this think. remains this case. I think, obviously, because the Warriors were so good defensively, you couldn't say this about them, but I think this is the first time that you can really say that this offense is going to dominate any good defensive team in the league. There's not a team good enough to beat them, especially with the Lakers as currently constituted. I made my stupid decision, and I I, I still have egg on my face when I said that LeBron's legacy is going to be tarnished if he lost to the Portland Trailblazers in the first round last year. 
Um, and then he went on to win the finals. So I'm not going to completely say the Lakers have no chance, but I think the Nets are the favorite. It, it, Kyrie, I mean, obviously we know what KD is and the influence he has. And I want to get your quick takes on on Blake and Aldridge in a second. I mean, to me, they've been amazing and, and their their roles are perfect for him. But Kyrie Irving, what he's doing right now, it's sick. It's stupid. I, I cannot remember him playing a better stretch of basketball in his pro career right now than he has been for the last month. It's it's honestly insane how good he is. I couldn't agree with you more. And you know what? All the all the Nets fans that talk themselves into Kyrie Irving, like you came on this podcast when he first signed last year, mm-hmm. it's really starting to look like it's actually true. You know, you came on here and you said, well, Kyrie's finally in a place where he wants to be. He got to pick right. a place. He's gonna, he's gonna be, um, you know, in in his at basketball peace, right? And he's gonna right. be able to just focus on hooping and blah blah blah. And of course, myself and probably a lot of listeners, we rolled our eyes. But <laughs> it it actually looks like it's come to fruition. Completely. Well, it helps that. Well, it helps that he has Durant and Durant on the floor as opposed to last year when he was only but on the But even bench. so, when KD wasn't playing, I mean, or earlier, like, it truly looks like Kyrie is finally at peace and he's able to, to play basketball and worry about nothing else and play his best basketball. Yeah, and, and having Harden and, and understanding that for the for the selflessness and the betterment of the team that Harden is the guy that should drive the offense. And Kyrie... You said this on Phillips's pod six weeks ago, five weeks ago, whenever that was, and then a couple times since. This is the perfect place for him. He should not be the guy that's driving the offense. He's the no, guy who comes where and goes as he pleases. He he will fix his spots. I, mean, I was watching that Knicks Nets game, and the Knicks gave the Nets again all they could handle. Harden left with what three minutes into the game yeah. with his hamstring, but still the Knicks. I mean, they do not relent. We'll talk about him in a second, but. Kyrie, what he was doing on certain plays for, to the Knicks when it was like, okay, the Nets clearly are very stagnant right now. There's not much to do. And for a game, Kyrie can just be like, no, I got it. Like, hold my beer. I'm fine. Yeah, to expect that the entire season, which he was expected to do in Boston, not really in Cleveland because he was with LeBron, but he was expected to do in Boston. He's not that kind of guy. His personality, uh, he comes and goes as he pleases on the court and, and with the team, clearly. <laughs> Absolutely. But, but listen, if you need him for one night, there's not too many guys I would take over him. No way. Uh, quick thoughts on what you've seen from Blake and LaMarcus Aldridge since they've been in the Nets uniform. I mean, exactly what we said. They were going to be, they were going to be reinvigorated and, and ready to go. Um, I mean, look, I, I still think defensively, you could use a little bit more out of a big man spot. I would like to see that guy Claxton play a little bit more because I think he's a great energy guy on the defensive end. Maybe in the playoffs he will, but I mean these guys are doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're they're filling roles and they don't have to have. I mean, talk about they don't have to have much of a workload. They don't have to have any workload. Everything they give you is gravy. Yeah, Aldridge was taking Stephen Adams to school last night. Blake had has now four dunks in a Nets uniform and hit a couple threes last night. Claxton is getting run. DeAndre Jordan is now out of the rotation. They're starting Aldridge 
which is fine. They're starting Aldridge and they're playing Claxton as the backup center. And when they go small, Blake plays the five or Jeff Green plays the five. That's pretty much it. Um, it'll be interesting. I think you really do need DJ in a hypothetical Sixer series. Honestly, you may even need him against your Knicks just to get some fouls, especially if Mitch Rapp comes back, if, if those two teams match up. Other than that, you don't need him at all. Um, speaking about your Knicks, tough one against the Nets. Uh, tough one against the Celtics yesterday. Tough one against the Celtics yesterday. How are you feeling about your boys? I mean, they're fighting. D. Rose is coming back, um, so he's kind of figuring out his way into the rotation. I don't think that Mitch Robb is coming back just because they signed Henson, um, mm-hmm. which kind of reading the tea leaves again. I'm big in re- into reading tea leaves today, I guess. You are. You're very You're kind, You're very uh, professorial right yes. now. Yes. Um, I think that means he's not coming back, which sucks because he's just had an injury-riddled career for a good, young, talented player. Um you know, there's a lot of fight in this team, but I just don't think they have enough. I would have really liked to have seen them beat the Celtics because I do think they may end up with the same record. And now they're 1-1, one and one, and they would have scooped the tiebreaker yesterday, but now they have to beat them uh, in the next game. It's kind of a must-win uh, to have that tiebreaker. But, I mean, I mean, listen, everything's gravy for me this year, right? I, I expect them to be a lottery team, and they, they, they're looking like they're probably going to make at least a play-in game. I was talking to some friends of mine about, they're like, oh, you got the Knicks tonight, real tough game, like kind of sarcastically. No, it's going to be a tough game. Like, that, they aren't fun to play. No. They give you their best. They play good defense. They'll make enough shots. RJ Barrett, by the way, in that net game was on fucking fire, as was RJ Bullock. But, or, um, yeah, Bullock. But Reggie Bullock. The, Reggie Bullock. But the most important thing was RJ Barrett. I mean, he, I, I don't watch a lot of Knicks games. Post all star game, I saw he's him, been killing he's it. He, he has looked lethal from, from outside. Yeah, and I knew that would come around. I didn't think it'd come around this quick. I thought it'd take another year or two. But, I mean, to trade this guy, you, Bradley Beal is is the bottom for, for that. Bradley Beal is the lowest player I would trade R.J. Barrett for. I think he's great. I, I agree with you, man. I think you should be in a really good you should be in a good headspace about them. And I, and I do believe that they're going to be fighting. I, I watch Boston. I mean, for everything that's good with the Knicks, like they'll win off of hustle energy and having just enough in the tank. The Celtics will win only if either Tatum or Brown is great. They don't win off energy or effort at all. Not at all. They're lazy. Which, which segues us into some thoughts from around the league. Boston continues to be my biggest disappointment. The Lakers clearly aren't playing well, which is to be expected. Is there anything that's catching your eye Phoenix. after some of the trade deadline moves? Phoenix, there you go. Phoenix beating the Jazz. Chris Paul doing crazy, doing amazing things. I think I did. I pick Phoenix to be number two this year. You did. Yeah, you went out on the limb, and I think you're going to be right. Yeah, I mean, enough said. I'm a genius. You're, you're crushing it, man. Those were some more tea leaves you read. <laughs> um, anything else for you? Not really. That that's pretty much it. I mean, the teams that are that are gonna suck are gonna tank and fall into place. Watch out for Denver. They are coming back around. I really like that Aaron Gordon move. We liked it from the jump. I'm really liking how that's looking. Anything you're noticing around the league that I'm missing? I'm looking at the Bulls, man, a little bit. Ever since mm. they got um, Vucevic, I know they lost four straight once they got him, but they are a different team with him, and I really like the way. That he fits with Markinen and Levine. I, I do think that this is a team that could fight their way into that play-in tournament. 
And I think that once they're there, they're not going to be an easy out. They might be one of those teams that can get hot because they stretch you, they stretch you out. And Levine has taken that next step. I mean, he is now in that, in that category of guys who, if you need a shot down the stretch, he's just going to be able to make it. He wasn't that way before. He was kind of a great stats, bad team guy. I know the team's still not great, but I think he's in that class now of guys where you need a bucket, he's going to get it, and he's going to get it from anywhere he wants. Yeah, you trust him. You do, and Vooch has been awesome for them. So I, the Bulls have impressed me a little bit. I, I like I like the way they look a lot more than they did before the move. Yeah, absolutely. Are you ready to talk some baseball? I'm ready to talk some baseball, man. Let's start with the Yanks, and we're three and three, so it's not the end of the world. But it, it, it kind of again, uh, you could put us in a time lapse for the last <laughs> four years. Aaron Judge again. What the fuck, dude? Look, man, I was talking to uh, my cousin, Will Smith's brother. He's He actually wants to come on the pod. Knows a shit ton about baseball. Great. Bring and him me and him were chatting it up about the Yankees, and he just said this team needs a facelift. Mm. A lot of names, great on paper, but it's the same shit, not just with the injuries, but the same shit every single year I mean when your best left-handed bat is a non-roster invitee to spring training we're in trouble bro we're, we're yeah we're not looking good and and I cannot watch the Yankees lose another fucking game three to two and I know you run out there and you run out that lineup and it looks great on paper with you know, Urshela hitting eighth and Frazier hitting ninth. But when these guys fucking strike out and you lose the game three to two because Jared Cole or Jared, excuse me, Garrett Cole spins a gem. But, you know, I feel like it's I feel like I'm watching the Mets with fucking DeGrom where it's like, yeah, DeGrom's going to win the Cy Young Award, but he's going to lose the game two to one because this team can't manufacture runs. In the onset, it's kind of like every beginning of a Yankee year. I mean, they do not get off to good starts mm-hmm. over the last few years. They've looked really bad in the first month to six weeks of the season at times. I'm not concerned from the standpoint of this team will hit. This team always finds their Gary. ability to hit. Gary's look good. This is not going to be the lineup that finishes the season. We always know that. There will be some tweaks here and there. It's frustrating as hell to lose a game like last night to the Orioles, but they did beat the hell out of them in the first two games. This is a team that has to kind of find their way through the first couple weeks. They don't come out gangbusters. And I understand the facelift part. It's hard to have a team that is so predicated on hitting the ball out. But hitting the ball from the right side of the plate. From the right side of the plate, I understand that they're not very well balanced at all. They're not balanced. They're not balanced. But <laughs> Period. These are these are guys, though. What concerns me the most because I'm not concerned about this team hitting, and there's enough depth on this team where if somebody goes down again, they have competent bats in there, and they will they will win their fair share of games. I'm not worried about that. I know last year. They never seemed to hit a stride, but it was 60 games. 2019, that first month was brutal. They won 103 with basically a 
you know, half of Scranton's roster. 2018, they didn't get off to a great start in Stanton's beginning. They won 100 games. What matters is October, and that's always a crapshoot. So we have to find out. You know, the Dodgers never found a way to win in October either, and they they pass through. What I've loved is the pitching. What I have not loved is the defense. And Glaber Torres at shortstop is a major problem. And we saw it last year, and we tried to say, well, it was just 60 games. Dude, I don't. I don't think this guy's a. I don't think this guy's a shortstop, man. I, agree. I just don't. All right. So, what's a lefty? Uh, obviously, a righty throwing. But give me a lefty throwing shorts. Uh, lefty hitting shortstop that we can go out and get. Let's make a trade right now. Lefty hitting shortstop. I mean, I, uh, obviously, obviously Lindor. <laughs> Lindor, but that ain't happening. No. Congrats, Mets again. By the way, Mets. Uh, we didn't talk about this. He got the ten-year deal that he wanted for three forty-one. Um, had to give it to him. Had to give it to him, and they did. Um, I mean, <laughs> Didi was the guy. They decided not to bring him back as a free agent. So right now, as far as shortstops, I don't. I'm not as. I'm not as fixated on the lefty bat i'm more fixated on Trevor Story. the, the I'm, I'm fixated on the ability to play shortstop at a high level and trevor story fits that mold so does javi baez both of which will be free agents at the end of the year and Fernando tatis is having trouble this year too before he got hurt but his is yeah, a fielding it, issue his is a i think i can make i have a fucking hose for an arm i think i can make every single throw when i sometimes i need to eat it because i don't have the play and then i throw it in the stands Sometimes that's what I see with Glaber, though. He takes yeah. a sweet old goddamn time making these throws. Run up, get the ball, and fucking throw it, dude. He double clutches way too much, and this has been a problem. I mean, that error he made last night, I know it was only a, it was only a tie game, but that was a t- critical error at that point. Maybe. I mean, is it crazy to think that maybe the timing just isn't there due to his time playing second base, which where obviously it's a closer throw and you have a little bit more time? I wish I could say that, but he's played short in his career, yeah. minors and majors, so much more than he played second, man. No, I know. I know. I'm trying to make excuses for my guy here. It's, I love Glaber, but, I mean, listen, From if you look at every defensive metric, from his range, he's below average at short. He's slightly above average at second. Not great, but slightly above average. And then as a thrower, he makes these atrocious errors, kind of like an Andujar at third. Like, I I. I miss the days of Didi where the ball was hit to short. It's an out to the first baseman's chest. With Glaber, every time, even on a routine, I'm like... It's an adventure. <laughs> is, is it getting there? I don't know. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I'm worried about the defense. I'm a little more worried about the unbalanced lineup. It's just... I mean, listen, I know when you look up at the end of the year, all these guys, there, unless, you know, they injuries we don't count but all these guys their stats will be there it's just i mean it, it's been the same thing since like you said 2018 i just think we need a little bit of a shake-up maybe throw void up on the trading block and a hard talkman you go out and get me a guy i know I, I think the problem is is you just don't know who that guy is because this I, roster absolutely. is so configured maybe to a it's, certain style of here's baseball. a guy i got a guy for you this solves this solves all our problems, excluding the shortstop, which we can, we'll figure out that another time. He just ended his free agency talks. He's a left-handed bat. Mm-hmm. Anthony Rizzo. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's a good move. I mean, obviously, a, a really good defensive first baseman hits for power and walks from the left side. I like that, and the Cubs are going to be in a fire sale come July. Mm-hmm. And listen, had he locked in a deal, obviously I would have shut that down, but he shut down free agency talks. So maybe he wants to move on, or maybe he wants to wait till the offseason. Hopefully the Cubs offload him. Maybe we do a little package deal, him and Javi Baez for, I don't know, the world? For the entire farm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to – I mean, the hard part about – and I was talking to this with, with my friend uh, about, you know, in-season trades is, first of all, there's a lot of big names that move in in-season trades, but usually not for each other. It's usually a big name going to a team for big-name prospects. The yeah. big-name changes usually happen in the winter. I think the Yankees locked themselves into Glaber Torres being their 2021 starting shortstop, for better I or totally worse. agree with you. I totally because agree the moves that they made, obviously you had to bring DJ back and he is a gold glove second baseman. He's best at second. He's also a very competent to good. And I use air quotes, but good first baseman. He mm-hmm. doesn't look like a first baseman. He's a good first baseman. And he comes in late when Voight's on the, when Voight's playing, DJ usually moves over to first to finish games. And he's doing that with Bruce. Now Gio is a top flight third baseman. There's really not many, better than him other than Chapman and Machado defensively that is Arenado. and and Arenado of course thank you and then you've got your shortstop is who's the anchor of the field second most important player not excluding catcher than as uh, to center field uh, in the uh, in the in the defense and it's and he's not great yeah so it's and, a problem and moving laterally seems to be his issue which let's face facts the Yankees had an issue with the shortstop moving laterally for a long time, but that was towards the end of his career, not at the very beginning. No, and, and every play for both Jeter and Didi, if they got to the ball... The ball was that. getting to the first baseman. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, I mean, to improve defense in the later innings, are you confident in Tyler Wade playing shortstop? So that's a really good question, and it's one I've considered. What they've been doing is moving Wade to second and and moving DJ to first. It's a really tough one because if you're thinking purely in the short term, it's probably the right move, and you put Glaber to second. The hard part is is if you're committed to Glaber being your everyday shortstop, you don't want to move him in and out of that position. You need him to be able to make plays late in games to save you, you know, if there's a ball where he's charging in and has to make a throw on the run, he can do it. If there's a ball up the middle or mm-hmm. to his to his right where he has to go backhand or glove side and, and be able to make the throw off balance, that he can do it. If you take him away from those spots, then you're clearly saying, okay, you're not my shortstop going forward. Here's and, my and thing. what does that do? You, you're more locked in on the Yankees than pretty much anybody. I think... If the Yankees are locked into Glaber at shortstop for for the 2021 season and for most likely the foreseeable future, you have to stick these errors out. Just like before the shoulder injury with the Padres, instead of moving Machado over to shortstop, they were going to stick it out with Tatis. Just like a lot of these other shortstops that are young. Baez had these issues when he was younger too with just being obsessed with his arm strength, thinking he can make every single play. I think you got to stick it out. I don't disagree with you. I think you have to, too. The problem is, is some of those are going to cost you games, and at what point does the maturation process 
supersede, continue to supersede the results. And that's the hard part. You hope he gets better because here's my thing. First of all, by the way, Baez played a lot of second because they had um, what's his name? True, Addison Russell. There. Addison Russell. So he was he was their primary shortstop. Although Baez was he was a shortstop playing second. I, I think Torres is a second baseman playing short. But you know, in 2019, when Didi was coming off Tommy John and didn't come back till June. Glaber was the shortstop, and LeMay, he was playing second. And I thought they both worked really well together. And I thought Glaber played a pretty good shortstop. I didn't think he was one of the best in the game He wasn't Ozzie Smith out there. No, but I thought he played a good shortstop. Last year and so far this year, I know it's early and you don't want to overreact, but it's becoming a trend. He has, he has really struggled making the average play and that is a cause for concern like i said and duhar was that way i never knew i thought i could live with and duhar until i watched geo play third yeah and now i can't watch anybody else play third other than geo because when the ball is hit to him it goes to the chest of the first baseman and duhar might make a great play but he's like Raphael devers you don't know where the fucking ball is going yeah uh, no I, I i agree with you and then it's not. I mean, Gio's been great for the. Gio's been, you know, a revelation for the Yankees, all around. Just giving up nothing for him, and he can hit the ball too. Absolutely, man. Um, any more thoughts on the Yankees from your side? No, I mean, I like what I've seen with pitching this year all around. I'm, I'm very happy with that. Kluber looked good in his first start. Garrett is obviously dominant. I think all the pitchers have looked good bullpen wise as well as starters. Just the offense looking a little stagnant. Clearly, the revamped uh, training staff isn't uh, <laughs> isn't uh, doing doing what we need to do. And then, I mean, defense, 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 defense. Yes, sir. It was nice seeing Ty on pitch last night. I thought he looked good. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else around the league? It's still a little early. The Mets are fun. Oh my God! You but want pulling to Degrom? You want to talk about a week they've had? So they pull. So they don't start the season. They miss the first three games because of the Nationals' COVID outbreak. So yeah, you don't wasn't play opening fault. weekend. wasn't wasn't their fault. They come back. They go to Philly. They pull Degrom after seventy-seven pitches. They don't start uh, Dominic Smith. They have a shit show of a game. Don Lagreca on the Michael K show loses his fucking mind, and it's classic <laughs> Mets all over again. And then today they have their home opener. And I don't know if you got a chance to see this. And if you didn't, as soon as we finish recording, you better look it up. Michael Conforto's walk-off hit-by-pitch today. (laughs) He literally put his elbow in the middle of the strike zone. Put it in the catcher's glove, basically? Dude, it it was a strike. The pitch from Anthony Bass on the Marlins was a strike. And he flared his elbow out there. And he was hit by a pitch, and the umps didn't change it, and the Mets walked off. It was absolutely awful. And I give, I, I listened to the play on the on the uh, summary of the game, and Gary and Keith and Ron on the Mets broadcast, like I give them a lot of credit. They were like, "That's fucking awful. That's really terrible. How do you do that?" Um, you know, it, it was they were really killing Conforto there. So hey, the Mets got to win. Just hey, maybe it was retribution for Monday, but um, definitely watch that. It was bad. A win's a win in my book. You know how I am. I try not to <laughs> you be. Love cheaters. I listen. I if there's anything I hate more than any, if there's anything I hate the most in this world, it's a hypocrite. So I try and stay right down the middle on everything. Good job by you, Conforto. 
<laughs> Way to get the job well, done. It uh, helps you with your Mets pick for sure. Every win counts. For sure. Um, Have a little more a confidence in your bat, though, Conforto. Let's just say that. Get a hit next time. Yeah, although that, uh, that fucking elbow guard was the MVP at the game. Did you get a chance to see the Otani game on Sunday oh, and what the yes. Angels fans threw out during the Astros game? Um, I did not see the the second thing you said, but I did watch. I watched the Otani game until he got pulled. Um, obviously, after being toppled over, it wasn't really Jose Abreu's fault. But I mean, Jesus Christ, to throw 101 and then hit a ball 115 miles an hour—that that's just unfair. And and honestly, my listen, I know there it's been a trying time. He's been in the league since like 2017. But bad job by my sports father not getting him. <laughs> although, although, again, going back to not being a complete hypocrite, you know how much shit I'd be talking about how often he was hurt if he was a Yankee. Oh, yeah, you'd be saying that, you know, he's a waste and yeah, he's another Japanese. But, at well, least I, I can admit you, that. You can, and you did. Well done. Um, that, did you hear the crack of the bat when he hit that home run? Oh, how Sounded could like you a not? rocket. Yeah, that, that, that was insane. What did they do to the ad? What did the... Angels due to the Astros. They threw a trash so can the, out or something? Yeah, the Angels fans um, threw a uh, threw an inflatable like trash can out on the field and then had like they were like banging one from the stands and shit. It was great. And then uh, the A's on their opening night because they hosted Houston, played the um, uh, before he cheats song like when they were being introduced, which I thought was a really nice troll job there. Um, That's big. And listen, again, not being a hypocrite, love cheaters. Just don't get caught. There you go. You've, you've always stayed true with that. Um, any Anything else you kind of mentioned, Tatis, before he got hurt? Do you have any thoughts on his injury? Um, how did he – did he get hurt sliding? No, swinging. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that guy's got enough pop where he doesn't have to swing out of his pants. But, I mean, <laughs> out of his shoulder? Yeah, literally. But, hey, I mean, that's his game. He's got to do it. Luckily, it's only partially torn. And according to Susan Waldman, um, obviously the greatest source on earth, the most um, reputable, she said that they're going the rehab route. For? For, for um, what's his face? For um, Tatis. Okay, Susan Waldman reporting that. Yeah, I was listening to the Yankee game on the radio, and her and uh, her and our boy John were talking about it. Oh, okay. Well, th- there you go. Yeah, they are going the rehab route for for Tatis, and I think you have to. I mean, you want to get that guy back on the field if at all possible, especially if the injury can't get worse. What about Judge? Uh, I feel like we should give this another three minutes. By the way. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Um, okay. So general soreness in his side. And Boone said, we want to give him today. And then he has the off day. And now there's talks that they're not sure that he's going to play in Tampa. To me, this is just the same old song and dance. Just put him on the DL. I'm waiting for the formal announcement. Couldn't agree with you more. I know they're going to re-sign him. And I'm going to be livid when they do it. It just can't be anything crazy. Yeah, I agree with you. I really I don't hope think it would the right dude now. is like 30. Yo, I don't think that there. If there is a team that's willing to give him three hundred plus million, then let them do it. That's a Robinson Cano situation right there. Just let. It, all right, listen. Seattle's going to give you that kind of money. See ya. 
At least Robbie played 160 yeah. games a year. Yeah, but I think the Yankees had a little inside intel on that, huh? After being caught for steroids for at least at the second, maybe third time. Hey, that, that your sports father knew what he was doing there. Yeah, I can't fault him on that. You got anything else going on besides a new job? No, man. Everything's pretty good down here. A couple straight 90-degree days. So Nice. Uh, We're in the, the 70s the here. Yeah, so we we taught you you complimented me on my job, which was nice, and winning the uh, the Phillips bracket. So let's talk about you, man. What do you got going on? Well, today was the day first of two vaccines have been put into the arm. Hey, congrats, brother! I don't know where Texas is on that. Um, it's good. It's it. Everybody can get one. You got one? No, it's it's pretty hard to get. Uh, if if you're my thing is, is I really want one, but I don't want to have to drive like three hours away to get it. So I think I'm probably going to wait till like June 1st or late May to sign up and try to get one that's still within the Austin city limits to get. Um, I hear you, but congrats on the first man. How do you feel? Um, I'm fine so far. The second one, they say you get a little sick. I got the Pfizer should have gotten it way earlier. Me being a, uh, what do they call that? Essential worker working in fucking yeah. homeless shelters in New York City. Hearing and, uh, you being an essential worker makes me cringe every time. Fuck off. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I got the first one. Michaela has been on me for that because uh, you either need a COVID test or a proof of vaccination to go to Yankee games. So she's oh, definitely, I mean, aside from her being a nurse and just believing in the vaccine, she's on me. More importantly for that, and I have to call the Yankees and whoever is the connection to the carpet for that because Michaela, being uh, working for Columbia, usually gets like tickets for like a dollar. They're not doing that program this year. Listen, guys, she's a fucking healthcare hero. Throw her a bone, okay? And by that, I mean throw me a bone. Well, obviously, it's got to benefit you too, but I do hear your premise. I mean, if they're going to let, I think it's the cap is... 10,800 in right now um those have to the pride the primary has to go to the essential workers who are fully vaccinated and want to go and when we first started dating that was a major selling point was that she got tickets for a dollar i haven't been to a single yankees game with her yet i mean come on yeah well you know it's it's a rough time and i and i certainly empathize with you um and i know that you're going to get to plenty of games which is a good thing and i can't wait to get the first snapchat or whatever from you guys at the stadium because i'm obviously not going anytime soon um but that would be great um when's your so what are you a month out from from dose two did they Uh, you had to book it there yeah they do the second one they do automatically for you it's on the 29th so three weeks from today that's exciting as hell man yes sir yes sir i'm gonna try because it's obviously today's Thursday, so I'll be working the next day. Everybody gets a little under the weather the next day, but I'm not going to take off. I'm going to try and tough it out. Listen, you're running a couple of huge companies here. You can't be you can't be showing that you just want to stay in bed. Um, well, that's good, man. I mean, once I'm once I'm set, you know, and we're both protected, you, you come down here and uh, introduce you to the Austin life. That sounds like a plan to me, bro. I'm looking forward to that. I love it, man. Well, we got a full couple weeks ahead. Like I said before, Frenchie's going to be coming on NFL Draft three weeks from today. Frenchie will be on before, probably the weekend before and the weekend after to give his full analysis and and predictions. So looking forward to that. Tom, you and I will be back next week. Um, 
this was a great one, man. Great to catch up, and everybody enjoy the sports. Everybody enjoy your weekend. Talk to you soon.